Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. The Business Creators Radio Show takes you into the field where you find those aha moments, and mastermind meetings that move you closer to serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. These instances do not happen in that soundproof $25,000 Hollywood quality studio, which is why we don't have one. They also are unlikely to happen in your home office, which is why we go out sometimes. You may hear a bird chirping in the background, a vehicle driving by, as I hear right now. We may be sitting somewhere in a cafe, and you may hear ambient noise coming from the next table. Once we did one of these interviews, there was a vacuum cleaner running in the background. We also had somebody dial in from a rainforest in Columbia during a downpour. You could hear the raindrops beating on the tent. And we had somebody who dialed in from an airport in Tel Aviv, and you could hear the IDF jets pushing over as we had our conversation. So these are some of the places where you have some of the inspirations we take you there. Today, I'm on my balcony here in Las Vegas, known to some, at least me, as the hottest city in America. And we are going to speak about a topic that has been hot for the 19 years I've been an entrepreneur and shows no signs of cooling down. It's not blazing hot, but it's a constant simmer. And it's one of those things where just when you think you're hot, you're not. It's about some of the biggest problems facing small business owners and how to build a business that runs smoothly, profitably, and mostly without you. Sounds timeless, but what we're looking for today is perspectives, and I have one for you. And it's from John Neuenberg, who I've been working to get on this show for a long time for you, and I'm very happy to have him. He's been a business coach for almost as long as I've been an entrepreneur, since 2004. He's helped over 320 small business owners increase profit, remove the stress and chaos from their businesses, and get their lives back. Uh, he, interestingly, was president of BC Liquor Stores, which currently does over $3 billion in sales annually with a headcount of 4,000 people. And in 2019, McKay CEO Forums awarded John Neuenberg with Canada's CEO Trusted Advisor Award in the Small Business category. Certainly somebody worth a listen. John Neuenberg, come on in. The weather's fine. Thank you, Adam, for that introduction. I appreciate it, and I'm glad to be here. Well, that's not my introduction. It's your introduction, and what I can tell you about it is it's so impressive that I'm not sure I'm worthy to be in this conversation, and this is my show. Let's (laughs) take a step back, and we're going to have kind of a free-flowing conversation. You have a few points you want us to cover. You gave them to us in the green room. We're going to hit all five of them. Uh, beyond that, we're also going to sort of do some storytelling. I have some things I want to run by you here. I've been saving up for before we do that, before we do that, let's hear a bit about your story. Tell us something 
about your journey and how it's brought you to where you are today. In your own words, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Adam, I uh, started as a business coach in 2004. Yep. And uh, it was Steve Jobs who said that you can only connect the dots going backwards. And I mention it because uh, when I started as a business coach, I had an epiphany. And the epiphany was that I've always been a business coach. Uh, it's been called different things at different stages of life. And uh, as Steve Jobs mentioned, I had, the epiphany was the connecting of dots. Um, I'll share a couple with you. I'm the eldest of eight children. So you can imagine I was cast in a certain role pretty early in life. I'm uh, hardwired to be a teacher, and I knew that in high school, but in those days, that meant wearing a Harris tweed coat and elbow patches, so that wasn't very fun. Uh-huh. And uh, in the early 80s, I learned something called the Socratic method of leadership. So Socrates had it. The best way to help somebody is to help them figure it out for themselves, and so, in fact, I've been coaching using that as the methodology, the Socratic method, uh, since the early 80s, so... Um, uh, I've always been a coach. I just now call myself, and that's what it says on the business card. Right, right. Well, I'm I'm a big fan of the Socratic method myself, and part of my particular enjoyment of it is teaching through stories and analogies. Hmm. Yeah. Well, we'll uh, we'll have some fun today, then. I know. I know. So uh, let's start extremely broad, and then we're going to bring this in as we go along. Okay. What, in your view, are currently some of the biggest problems facing small business owners? The ones I work with are always challenged around some combination of time, team, and money. So time sounds like owners saying to themselves, I have too much to do and not enough time to do it. I can't get everything done. If I don't do it, it won't get done. So lots of owners have kind of a hub and spoke mentality. Uh-huh. Nowadays, is uh, you know, it's so difficult recruiting, getting good, good team members. It's difficult to get people to do the work at the level you need. It's difficult to get the culture you want. And then money has two dimensions to it. One side is, you know, having proper accounting, a dashboard, metrics, KPIs, measures in the business so you can measure results. And the other side of money is I need more money. I need better sales and marketing. Right. So the vast majority of the people I work with, they're, you know, doing something like 500,000, maybe 5 million, somewhere in that range they they started off and became you know their lawyers their accountants their health practitioners their professional advisors and the other kind of client is their tradespeople their electricians plumbers general contractors again took five years to get a you know red seal uh, trade ticket and uh, they get a truck two or three and suddenly they're like when did i lose control of the business yeah you know i kind of felt that way too when i got started originally my venture was a side hustle and it provided logistical and research support for training and development firms because i was looking right. to get into the training development industry and had gotten bitten by the entrepreneurial bug somewhere between receiving my mba and landing my fortune 100 job somewhere between those two i caught the entrepreneur bug well yeah. anyway uh because I didn't know what I didn't know, didn't know what to ask, didn't know the questions were available, took me two years to go from side hustle to full-time entrepreneur. When I got there, within a month, I was suddenly in the web design business. Right. Because I went to a, I went to a conference. I ended up hooking up with somebody who became a client uh, and uh, who was willing to mentor my 
introduction into online marketing support, which right. was great. And she told me at the time that she worked with two types of people, those who were so good that within six months, they wouldn't want to work with her anymore because they were billing so much on their own. And those who were so bad should want to get rid of them. And I <laughs> fell into the, and I fell into the former category. So for years, I was in a business I absolutely hated. And I tried all kinds of things. I did the whole build your team, have project managers, web designers, virtual assistants, digital creators, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then I, then I shut the whole thing down. Right. I I became a website conversion consultant back when that was yeah. really a separate discipline. You may recall about 10 years ago, that was really hot, all the rage, and a whole crop of them came up while I was one of them. Right. Uh, then, then I uh, moved into being a hired gun product launch sensei, and I made a lot of money with that. And then I entered a period where I didn't know what I wanted to be for three years until I discovered my joy of working with entrepreneurs to launch their podcasts. And that has been something I've been doing for over three and a half years now. And the podcast reach system is something I just keep coming back to and adding to out of love. I may have found the one, but through all that, but through all that, my challenges were not dissimilar to what you described. Uh, There was that money versus investment thing, that that ox in the horse cart thing, or or chicken in the egg thing, whatever analogy you want to use going on. And there was that whole thing of people are trying to tell me how to do it, but they're not telling me how to do it for myself. Right. So uh, the story I like to tell is you had all these people attend all these webinars uh, about how to scale your business. And then literally the next day, they'll come to you and say, well, I've hired three webmasters, two copywriters, uh, four social media managers. Uh, I now have an accountant, an auditor. Um, I even have a doctor. Uh, I, have, uh, I have two lawyers. Uh, I filed for seven copyrights. Say, that's great. What's your business about? Um, well, but I, but I have a team, and we are, going to, we are going to take this industry. What industry? Uh, our team is going to have so much cohesion. Okay, sure. Get off the webinar script. <laughs> yes. Sure. Yeah. So uh, that's what I mean by telling me what to do, but not telling me what to do for myself. Sure. Outsourcing means different things to different people. So sure. that's kind of where I want to go with next is what do you see as being some of the most effective stri- strategy and also some of the biggest roadblocks when it comes to. And this is, again, this is an area of my practice, moving businesses from being at the solopreneurial stage to the leverage stage and podcasting can be a driver of that. So what do you find as being some of the ups and downs of outsourcing, team building, scaling? Well, uh, the example you cited is, is a case where someone added a bunch of parts to the business without an overarching framework to hold it all together. Yeah. Um, and so you need to have five components to make sense of it all. Uh, so something, the first of which is uh, some form of business and strategic plan. So what's the strategy? Number uh-huh. two is a revenue and profit plan. So what's the map of how we're going to scale revenue growth or business growth? Number three is uh, how do you build? How do you build in the marketing? So there has to be a marketing plan to support the revenue growth a sales plan, and then ultimately, this is where the organizational plan comes in. That's the thing you were referring to, that as revenues grow, as a result of the marketing we're doing, well, we're gonna need to add our 
um, add to our capabilities our our ability to deliver on our promise. And so we need to scale the organization in proportion to how we're scaling the, the, the revenue of the business. So uh, it amounts to the same thing as what you just described in your, you know, your kind of story there, but it's done in a framework and a structured kind of systematic way. Right. So overall, um, overall, what would you say does it take to become a successful business owner? Well, um, <laughs> and we're and we're going to narrow this down further. Again, we're getting some of the framework uh, in, interrogatives out of the way here. Yeah. Well, there's, gosh, there's so many ways to uh, answer that question, but. Um, I'd say that it starts with the three A's. Uh, so the first of which is you, you have to have acumen. You have to have the right set of skills. Uh, number two is you have to have the right activity, doing enough of the right things. And then the third is you have to have the right attitude or really, right. more frankly, the right mindset. So um, at one level to answer your question, that's how I'd answer it. Um, the other way that I'd answer it is that uh, building a business is about getting a three-legged stool uh, built. And the three legs are made up of uh, uh, three bits of wisdom. So the first of which is that systems run your business, people uh -huh. run your systems, you lead your people. So systems run your business, people run, people run your systems, you lead your people. So that you know, that in a nutshell covers a lot. If you have people running your business, then your business uh, rises and falls on the capability of the people. If you have systems running your business, the people can come and go and the business still survives. So, you know, uh, uh, you know, a simple kind of example of that is that's how they get those French fries to taste the same, no matter where, where in the world those French fries are being made. And the uh -huh. French fries are being made by a 16-year-old and the Parents of that 16-year-old can't get him or her to clean the bedroom. So that's part one. Part two is that uh, about 85% of a business ought to be routine or systematized. Roughly 15% of a business is the exception. So systematize the routine, humanize the exception. So in my hypothetical example, what happens if one day we don't have any potatoes in the, in the restaurant? Oh, um, well, we're going to have to, that's an exception, yeah. right? Now we've got this, like this crazy thing happen. But uh, instead, the third leg of the stool now is you never look for a people solution. You always look for a system solution. So in the case that we run out of potatoes again, what would our system need to be so that we would have a routine systemized way of handling it? You wouldn't have to, you know, call the fire alarm or get the manager on the phone to figure out what to do. So if you get those three things in place, now I'm talking kind of at an academic or a theoretical level, but if you act on those three principles, that's how you'll go to having a business. You mentioned something, Adam, I wanted to circle back to, which is this, what is the purpose of a small business? And if you asked, so the answer I wanna offer doesn't apply if it's a Fortune 500 company or Fortune 50, there's lots more complexity and stakeholders and and so on, but the but the in my view, the real purpose of a small business, you know, let's say up to five million or something like that, is to give the owner of that business the life they want. So the real purpose of a business is to act as a vehicle to give you the life you want. No one was born to business; we were born to live, and so our businesses ought to be a vehicle to give us that life. 
And in the example that you cited, just where you know people are working 80 hours a, a week, well, clearly that business isn't serving them in their life. And so if you start from the perspective, am I, am I enjoying, am I getting the life that I want? And if the answer to that is yes, congratulations. But in most cases, when I meet a business owner, the answer to that is no, I'm not. I'm working too many hours. I'm not getting, I'm not able to get the right people. And I don't, I'm not pulling out as much money as I want. Yeah, well, I recall when I was, uh, when I was going for my MBA and I was in one of the many classes and the professor asked the question, what is the, what is the purpose of a business? And I, I said, well, to make money. And it was, it was was to the point where I almost reported him to the Dean over how (laughs) far he, how, how far he went overboard with it is he decided to just mock my answer for 20 minutes is oh gee business is my business to make money well that's like saying we live to breathe well yeah if you if there's if you can't breathe you're gonna die yeah business doesn't have money it's not going to survive because it's not going to be able to cover its overhead and most importantly it's not going to be able to compensate those people that move it forward and sustain those systems to keep it consistent yeah so yeah yeah if uh, if your business is not making money then something's got to give. Something's not right. Sure, absolutely. It's a vehicle to give to design, to produce money, to make profit. And that profit is to support the owners in their life. I wouldn't take issue with that. Of course, um, one of the principal ways we measure the success of a business is, is it making money? Is it making the appropriate amount of profit for a business of its type and Uh size? Right, right. Uh, because, because, think, because think about it as well. If you, if your people you have working for you are agonizing over their money, how effective do you think they're going to be? Versus if they have money security, how motivated do you think they're going to be? It's sometimes the little changes that make a big difference. Let me tell you something that's not exactly related. Uh, so, in fact, let me... Um, let me ask you a question, John. Uh, look at your inbox right now. Approximately how many emails are in it? Unread? Just, yeah, read, unread total. In the inbox, how many emails are there? Well, frankly, bluntly, truthfully, zero. Okay. Which is probably not the answer you were thinking, but I know. No, 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 no. It, uh, okay. So, so, so you're, you're an inbox zero guy. I am. So yeah. am I. Um, so what so if you ever worked with somebody whose inbox was just jammed with like 10,000 emails and you heard their reason for not cleaning that out what do you think their top reason might be Oh gosh it could be a range of them from procrastination to poor time management to very poor productivity skills um uh, and to some extent, they don't know how to delegate. Uh, they don't know how to have others manage their inbox. Um, most, you know, again, most people are very poor at uh, delegating. And yeah. um, so I would say it's either the two principal reasons is procrastination, poor time management, or poor delegation skills. Yeah. And I think, and I think you're, I think you're onto something with those, with those things Uh so some of the, whether it's the reasons or the objections I get, 
See, I, I can I can get somebody a zero inbox right now. You want to go inbox zero? I'm a Gmail user myself. I port all my pop addresses into Gmail and uses the send receiver, so it's my platform. But I believe that uh, Microsoft uh, Outlook or whatever they call it these days and Yahoo and all the other ones have very similar functions. Uh, I can get you an inbox zero right now. Here's how you do it. Step one, Mark, all your email is read. Step two, Mark, all your email is archived. Yeah. Voila, there's your zero inbox. So well, if, did you say 12,000 emails? Is that what the number you cited? Whatever, whatever it is, whether it's 12, whether it's 12, 1200 or 12,000. Yeah. So I you, would, you want I would inbox say. zero, mark them all read, mark them all archived. Yeah. You're done. It's inbox I, zero. I would, uh, the way that I describe that, Adam, is that uh, you, you'd want to declare email bankruptcy. <laughs> and, uh, and so look at it. if you've got 1200 emails you've got emails that go back months and months and months so effectively they're um, never going to be dealt with so if you want right. to pick a period of time let's call it two weeks or three weeks everything prior to that delete effectively you have already right, um, right. and you certainly have in the in the minds and the, in the viewpoint of the, whoever sent you the email so that's step one in the process uh, step two of the process, for from my point of view, is that you need someone else to manage you, uh -huh. and uh, that's the role of a of a really good personal assistant. And you would want a personal assistant to to uh, triage your inbox. And what I mean by that is they're the ones who who are the first person that reviews the inbox and divides the 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 incoming in email into one of four folders. So the first of the four folders is um, stuff the your personal assistant has deemed that you and only you can take care of. Right. Number two is uh, stuff the personal assistant will take care of if you give them a bit of direction. Do this, do that, set up the meeting. No, I don't want the meeting with a bit of instruction. Number three is the stuff the personal assistant's already done. Period. I've taken care of it. Uh, if you need to know, you can search for it, but it's uh, effectively, you don't need to look at it. And then the fourth folder is, is stuff that personal assistants deemed that uh, you can read at your own leisure. And if you do, great. And if you don't, that's fine too. So four folders. Yeah. The folder number two, the one where the VA or the personal assistant will take care of, that folder becomes smaller and smaller and smaller over time as you work with your virtual assistant because it'll become more and more routine or habitualize what your standard stock way of handling the kinds of things that are in that folder. So effectively what you've done then is you're no longer looking at the 12,000 emails because of 12,000 that you might've gotten in two, three months, there might be 10%, maybe even 20% that are really uh, uh, the ones that are critical for you. Yeah. Those are the, so you're not using any of your bandwidth, any of your attention on the other 80% because there, there might be some importance, but they're not critical to you. And so as a result, you're much more likely to be focused on the things that matter most. And you won't be procrastinating about 1,200 emails because um, the 20% that are left on your table or left in that folder are mission critical and likely as a result, you'll have the bandwidth and folks to be able to deal with them. So um, uh -huh. I'm, I'm a big believer that um, uh, get someone else. You know, the way that I sometimes think about it is you fly the airplane, the personal assistant's your air traffic controller. They're the okay, ones okay. who clear the airspace. 
and, and simply direct and tell you how you're going to spend your time based on their understanding of how you deem priorities to happen. So right. there's kind of a reversal of roles there. They become, in fact, your kind of accountability partner, but you're still the uh, principal. Yeah. Well, here's, uh, and this is through some of my own experiences, and I want to get your thoughts on it. And the second one will shock you, but I'm going to put it the way it happened so that you feel the full force of it. Uh, one of the, one objection I got to doing this was, well, but I need it so that uh, I have the stuff I need for my projects. I said, well, the answer to that is simple. Download your attachments into folders I, you know, that identified for this client, for this project, et cetera. Print out anything that's so monumental you can't live without it. And remember that when it's in the archive, the search function, the search the archive, and the search function, the search the inbox are exactly the same. Yeah. You will find it if it's in the archive the same way you'll find it if it's in the inbox. Yeah, and then, so using Gmail, Google's pretty good at search. You've probably yeah. heard that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. They're pretty good at it, yeah. And then number two was, well, but I still have a bunch of people I have to get back to. Like 12,000 emails? You haven't gotten back to all those people? Well, let me just ask you one question. I'll say, who the fuck do you think you are? Yeah, exactly. And and, and let, me, let me develop that further. It's like, because they'll say, whoa, whoa, what, what are you talking to me like that for? Who the fuck do I think I am? Like, yeah, who the fuck do you think you are that you've let those emails sit and you didn't answer those people? You think you're so special that you don't have to answer emails? And they'll say, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's exactly. I didn't think that was your truth. So why are you allowing 12,000 emails to sit in your inbox and taunt you with that disempowering, disaligning message? Get them out of there. Yeah. You know, uh, I... Um... Oh gosh, the four-hour work week. I um, was being interviewed. I can't. Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss. So Tim was being interviewed, and uh, you know he he was working four hours a week. So the interviewer said, "Well, gee, you're making like fifty grand a month. Why, why, uh, why? And you're only working four hours. Like, what's the big deal there? Why did you have to sell the company?" He says, "You know, it was a little like. Remember the day when uh, you had a PC and the antivirus." Uh, software start uh, operating in the background and how that would slow down your computer. Well, that yeah. effectively is what happens to your brain on 12,000 unread emails. Um, they exist in some space in your head and diminishes your productivity because of all of that running in the background stuff that's going on. Um, and so if you want to increase your productivity, get rid of the emails and focus on the ones that matter most and your productivity will actually increase. Yeah. Uh, here's, 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 here's another thing. And I know it seems like we've gone micro into emails, but some of the points about being effective in this area are in business overall, to me, are coming through. So here's another one. You may recall from that same book and that same curriculum by Tim Ferriss that he urged everybody who's making the transition from solopreneur to leverage to leveraged uh, business owner to create that autoresponder that says, I check my emails at 12 and four and contact this person if you need A, B, C, D, or an E. And I got a couple pushback from clients say, how dare you? You, 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 you need to respond and, and not tell people, with, you know, you know, somebody sent you an email, you damn well better be on that. Like, okay, fine, I won't, I won't give you the message, but it'll still take me just as long to reply. And I might delegate to somebody else who will reply on my behalf. And when they do, I will expect you to work with them, not redirect it to me. Okay, I tried to be nice, but we'll do it, we'll do it the other way too. 
Yeah, there's a perverse. Well, and, and, and that's because somebody got nasty with me over saying, oh, I see you're another one of those Tim Ferriss Kool-Aid drinkers. Well, well, you know, yeah, you better learn how to treat your clients. Yeah, yeah. I'm creating systems that may help me help me treat my clients better. But hey, if the, if that's so triggering for you, then I just won't put up the autoresponder and I'll let you just find out. Yeah. You know, the, now that now that goes to something I want to ask you about is sure. I think that sometimes entrepreneurs uh, struggle to get to that point where their business runs smoothly, profitably, and mostly without them because there's something going on that makes it impossible for some intellectual, mental, psychological reason for them to remove themselves. And what I just gave was an example of they tried to remove themselves from the day-to-day and they got smacked in the face for it. You know, that, uh, that happens a lot for sure, but it's not because it's not possible. It's because they haven't figured out how to do it. Okay. And, um, uh, a business can well. Let me put it this way: Does Ray is Ray Kroc and it, of course the founder of McDonald's is yeah, in yeah. every single restaurant making every one of those billions of burgers? Well, he's dead. Of course, that's the <laughs> that's what I mean. That yeah, they they have built systems so every one of those restaurants can operate. In fact, many of them are owned uh, by people that own multiple rest multiple McDonald's restaurants, and they don't go into the restaurant except on some celebratory, you know, uh, shaking everyone's hands on Thanksgiving day. How do they do that? They have great systems. Systems are what allow you to get the owner to get time and money freedom because systems um, uh, ensure that you know what's going on in the restaurant if you tie that together with culture. So systems is the, the, you know, here's, the recipe for how we make French fries. Culture is here's the rules of the road and how we treat each other, how we treat suppliers and how we treat our customers. If you get those two things in place, then you don't need to be in the business. And if you're feeling like, well, that's impossible, it's because you haven't learned how to do it. It yeah. is possible. I, I, you know, start um, Howard, um, oh, gosh, I'm, Howard Schultz Starbucks. Starbucks, exactly. Yes. I knew we, I knew where you were going. He's another guy that he doesn't need to be in every restaurant every day. And in fact, he can't be, of course. And so it's an example, another example of where he's systematized the process of delivering coffee and the, and the space uh, to, to uh, allow their customers to thrive. And uh, it's an example of systems run your business, people run your systems, you lead your people. Yeah, I mean, I mean, think about if you went into Starbucks and said, oh, no, 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 Mr. Barista or Mrs. Barista. No, 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 no. I want Howard Schultz to make this for me. I'm, I'm dealing with the number one guy. Yeah. That's, they they that's, would laugh you right out of that store. Yes, that's exactly right. And that's and so that's a great, great way to respond to that. owner. Yeah, or, or, or even worse, or somebody goes to McDonald's and say, well, no, 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 I don't I don't want that 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 high school kid making my Big Mac. I want Ray Kroc making my Big Mac. Sure. It's like, dude, he's dead. I I don't care. I want the top guy or the top lady or top whatever. I want them making my Big Mac. I don't want, I want the flunky doing it. Or better yet, and this is something that I experienced when I took that weapon as being solopreneurial to leverage, is client, and I had a few clients, and these were among the first who got fired when I needed to start firing people, who would say, well, since you're, uh, since you're fobbing me off to your 
flunky, how much of a discount do I get? That's like mm-hmm. going into McDonald's and saying, I want the CEO to make my sandwich. Sure. And if the CEO of McDonald's, whoever that is, I don't know the name off the top of my head, is not available to make the sandwich, but the high school kid who's doing this as a part-time job is there to make the Big Mac, that'd be like saying, okay, well, since the high school kid's making my Big Mac, how much how much less does it cost me because the CEO's not doing it? Well, it's the other way around. The, the Big Mac <laughs> is costing you what it is because we have it systematized. If we had the uh, CEO come in and do it, it might be at six zeros, if not 10 to the Exactly, number. exactly. When you look at the value of that CEO's time. So that, so I love your analogy and I just wanted to carry a little bit further of, if you go to McDonald's, you really expect Ray Kroc to make your Big Mac. And I point out immediately that he's dead. So obviously he's not going to be making your, your Big Mac, but it yeah. leads to that larger thing. And people ask these questions like, okay, well, um, well, I'll give you, I'll give you one more. Let's say that you, um, let's say that you go, uh, to a clothing store and you want to buy some, we'll just use the name everybody knows, Gucci. Uh, and you say, and you ask, you ask the sales associate who's checking you out, did the CEO of Gucci make my blouse? Uh, no. no. Well then how much of a discount do I get? Because the junior people in the factory did it. The CEO didn't stitch it. Right. How stupid does that sound? Well, it's a perverse understanding of how things yeah. work. Yeah. So simply, so simply apply that to some of these objections. Um, have yeah. a positive mind frame about how you reply to it. And you gave a great example right there. Well, if the CEO of McDonald's came in to make your Big Mac because of the value of the CEO's time, you could be paying $800,000 for that Big Mac. Exactly. But instead, so- we have the system in place Exactly. Uh, we have the organizational structure in pl- that place so that really, no matter who makes the Big Mac, as long as they wear their gloves and don't sneeze on it, it's going to be a quality Big Mac. Exactly. And, 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 and if we accidentally goof up and we put something, we put an ingredient on it that the U.S. us not to put on it. Well, we also have a system and a process for fixing that within 30 seconds by getting you another Big Mac. And the fact exactly. we have those systems and processes means there's another Big Mac fresh off the grill ready for you. Yeah. So um, another way we could talk about this is that uh, if you can think of your business uh, and answer the question, what would I have to be in place so I could franchise this business? Uh If you answered that question and then delivered on that question, you would be in a place where you wouldn't need to be in the business every day uh, in the same way as that's actually what happened with McDonald's. So it's, it's possible to do in every business. And the fact that it isn't happening for you, Mr. or Ms. Business Owners, is not because it's not possible. It's because you haven't figured out how to do it. That's it. But that's an interesting way of asking the question. I just want to say it out loud again so our folks can get it. What would I need to do in order to be able to franchise this business? Correct. So with, uh, so with the podcast reach system, I've already figured that out. I already know how I would franchise podcast reach. I know how to white label it. In fact, we're working on a white labeling agreement with a firm right now. Uh, And by answering that question, I figured out two sides of it. So let's say that, let's say that uh, I am not in a situation right now where I can afford to outsource too much because I really need the money and doing it myself and keeping the money is me getting paid to do the work is more within the range of feasibility or i only have one and i don't feel like project managing one because it really only takes a few days to do one of these once we get all this stuff together well that's one way i can do it but if i end up getting 
six new reachers at one time or something else comes up in my life or I get to the point where maybe I'm getting 30 new reachers at a time and I need to have an organization around this. Well, through trial and error documentation and optimization, I figured out how to make the process extremely efficient. Plus, I've given the system to a couple of virtual assistants around me on the condition that uh, they refer all their launch all their launch my podcast work to me in exchange for a commission and that they mass and that they master the concept for themselves so that anytime I can reach out to them and say, Hey, I got an extra reacher here. I could really use a hand on this. Want to earn? And they can jump into whatever percentage of that reach project is done and just pick up right as if, right as if that's where they themselves hit a bookmark the day before and just run with it. Yeah. Well, then clearly you've been able to answer the questions of my three-legged stool, systematize the yeah, business, yeah. Uh, uh, systematize the uh, systematize the routine, humanize the exception, and then always look for a system solution, not a people solution. Systemize your routine, humanize the exception, That's and right. look for a software was the third one? System solution. A system solution. Remember my story of the uh, the potatoes. Uh, so the next time we don't have potatoes, rather than having to phone up the manager, the human solution, we need a system solution so that we would know the routine way that we would handle that circumstance. Yeah, I mean, you can use inventory, projections, what have you, right. to have enough uh, bags of French fries in the freezer, yeah. and yeah. you can have a certain percentage of those move to the cooler to slack them. You can tell I've worked in fast food before. Uh, but then you have a whopper of a sales day, to use a Burger King analogy now, uh, and you sell 17 times the amount of fries you were expecting to. So now you're behind on both supply and slacking. Well, there's ways to deal with that when you've humanized the exception. Yeah, that's uh, that's what happened in that circumstance that you just described. Okay, fine. We'll have to deal with that in a in a human or personal kind of way, but we'll figure yeah, out yeah. a system so that when or should this happen again, we'll have we'll have a way to deal with it. Uh huh. Yeah, it's it's a ma- it's a matter of figuring out what the next time is. I I certainly get that, and to me, it's also a matter of creating institutional legacy uh, yes. another part of podcast reach is we have our own methodology for how to set up webinar registration pages and there's right. a process behind it that yeah. we designed based in part on learning we got actually from alex mendocian uh many years ago and mm. uh, where it involves the the ask method that's integrated into the process mm. so anytime i bring on somebody new to set up one of my own webinars or for one of our, uh, one of our private clients, one of their webinars, and they go off on some, what I should do is I say, okay, well, here's a, here's a video and here's a checklist. This is the, this is the reach system standard for a promotional webinar. So, (laughs) and then, and then here's also, you also need the title, the description, the bullet point, the short bio, the next number of characters of the presenter. You need the date, the time, you need these logins. Here it is, all filled out in a worksheet for you. Go, yeah. and if well, they and if they come back with some something that shows that they just didn't follow that, then I can, without even getting upset over it, say, uh, "Just wondering, uh, did you have a chance to watch the video and follow the checklist?" No, and when course. they inevitably say no, no, I say, "Well, I need you to because there are more errors here than I have time to explain. Just exactly. do it over again." 
point them back at the system. Yeah, but that yeah, and then the system becomes a correction, and you don't even have to get upset over it. Uh, you can just chalk it up to they must have missed that memo. So you give them a pass on it. And as long as they turn around the correct version quickly. Yeah, well, that's an example of lots of people don't have very good delegation skills, right? The, what you described is, a, is the proper, appropriate way of delegating it back to them. Yeah. Um, and uh, what you've described is what the trap the hub and spoke manager gets into because they actually respond or accept that uh, you know, exception are not uh, working up to the standard and they embrace it and they correct it themselves instead of uh -huh. what you did in your example was you pointed them back to the system. You didn't show, you know, uh, there's a, <laughs> there's a, a, an old, old fable about, the, you know, the, that person came into the room and described their monkey and that monkey left off their back and left onto yours. And, um, and so as managers, we can't let uh, that monkey come on our back so you can come mm. to me with your monkey and i'll help you with the care and feeding of that monkey but when you leave the monkey goes with you and in your demo that you just did you did a perfect yeah. job of reassigning the monkey back to them well let me uh, tell you about one of the stories of when i first uh, developed testicular fortitude in the work environments and this is when i had already made the decision uh, that my side hustle was going to become my full-time thing, that there was no turning back. And right. I just didn't have the equipment to accelerate getting out of there faster. So it was about a nine or 10 month period. So at the time, uh, I had to deal with this obtuse fucking moron of a boss's boss. I mean, imagine having Warden Norton from Shawshank Redemption as your boss's boss. Oh dear. And this would actually be a downgrade in terms of how obtuse this individual was. And she would go <laughs> and she would go on and she would go on and on telling me that my direct supervisor, who was her direct report, was saying that there were inconsistent errors with my work. And then mm -hmm. he would say, There are inconsistent errors with your work. And after about the fourth time I heard it, I said, yeah, I keep hearing about these so-called inconsistent errors, but neither one of you has pointed out to me a single error. Sure. So until such time as somebody shows me what you're looking for here, I'm doing a perfect job. And that will be reflected in my next performance evaluation or I'll file agreements. Sure. Well, son of a gun, wouldn't you know it? The next day, I got back my next batch of work with a list of things they wanted corrected. Sure. And son of a gun, wouldn't you know I made those corrections? Yeah. And son of a gun, wouldn't you know I got it right the next time? And sure. son of a gun, wouldn't you know that two weeks later, I got an email from my direct supervisor just gushing about how the work that I was doing was perfect. Got so much better. Well, wow. Kind, uh, kind, kind of weird. You actually show somebody what you want them to do and they might do it. Yeah. Because I was, yeah. I was at that point in my journey where I really just wanted to check off the boxes because uh, in today's age, I've heard it called quiet quitting. Uh, yeah. uh, is one of the is one of the things sure. for it. Uh, but it was the idea that I already knew that my next step was somewhere else. But in the meantime, I wanted this to go as smoothly as possible. So I got real familiar with my job description and wanted absolute clarity on all expectations because I just wanted to meet them. Sure. Yeah. Well, so it, it, it was an easy sell. Is my point? Yeah, uh, you're uh, ahead of your time. Yeah. Yeah, but the thing is, that stuff has been going on for so long. It's just interesting that now we're coming up with names for it. Sure, it's labeled. Yeah, I've I've watched. So, I mean, just 
through the five years I worked for that company, I think I watched about 30 or 40 people quiet quit. Hmm. I also saw almost as many people get quietly fired. Yeah. Well, that uh, reminds me of a bit of wisdom that uh, the owner or the uh, boss in this particular case that you're describing, uh, this is particularly true for you. You don't get the culture you want. You get the culture you deserve. And uh -huh. all of the behavior leadership of that particular owner uh, or business leader produced the culture that you're describing. Yeah. Uh, and clearly one that was uh, dysfunctional. It was extremely dysfunctional. Uh, I, I I'd write a book about it, but I don't really want to think about it too much. I just no. use it occasionally as an example sure. when I tell these stories. Yeah. So, uh, so we've identified so many different ways that we can help to move the owner or the entrepreneur or the leader out of the process so that it runs smoothly, profitably, and mostly without, without them. them. And we do yeah. get to a point where there's just a leap you're going to have to take. And I alluded to it earlier, the where you do some you do a lot of stuff yourself because you're not in a position financially to outsource and you need to get paid to do that as part of your own compensation uh but then you, at some point you got to make that leap to where you're paying somebody else and regardless of what they say about oh but you'll make more money this way and but yeah then you also have to have immediately the other clients to come in and fill that gap so you can afford quality people who are going to be motivated to do a great job because yeah. stepping up is because being mostly out of the business doesn't mean fixing the spokes as you alluded to it yeah. means being out of the business so uh it's a it's another form of trap that business owners get into which is yeah. um any business owner i've worked with um I've been able or they've been able to identify five to seven hours worth of work they're currently doing each week that they should not be doing. And um, as a result of that, the, this kind of work, and there's a formal way to do it, but the easiest way to do it is anytime you think about having to do something and you go, oh, crap, I have to. That's a clue. Uh -huh. that, that work you shouldn't do again. And it's quite likely someone will do that work. Uh, at least as good and probably better than you're currently doing it. And they'll do that, you know, on, on some of these freelancer sites, they'll do it for 10 or 15 bucks an hour. And what that frees you up to do is to go use that time in a, in a way that creates more value for your business. And right. so if we notionally said that the average owner's notional value of time is let's say 500 bucks an hour, why in the world is that owner doing work that someone else would do for them for 15 bucks an hour? So it's a trap to think that I don't have the money to do it. Right. I think there's something else and uh, that I want to pull out of this. Uh, I think there's also uh, this misunderstanding that, well, once you start outsourcing, you outsource all of it. Well, maybe you're not in that situation where you yeah. can afford yeah. the $15 an hour. Maybe you don't want to deal with $15 an hour. Maybe you want to pay $50 an hour to not think about it. Uh, there yeah. is that, there is that analogy of the, of the, uh, of the applicant for a welding position who turned in the ugly weld and the pretty weld and said, the ugly one's $15 an hour. The pretty one's $30 an hour. You said this job has a range of $15, $30 an hour. I just showed you the range. <laughs> so that's a real thing. That's a real thing. Uh, so no, it doesn't, you know, mean, it doesn't mean you have to outsource the whole thing, but maybe you find some of the stuff that no, uh, for $15 an hour, somebody would think of that as being overpaid 
and start there and just start chipping away yeah. at it. It's a uh, ongoing process though, Adam. Um, I worked with a woman who over the course of a year grew her business from $200,000 in sales volume to a million. So a, 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 a multiple of five. And we did this, uh, we did this uh, exercise, the skill fund box or the surveying your time to find five or seven hours. We did that four times in that span. Uh-huh. What, what do you need to be doing less of so that you have time to do something that's more important? And so that isn't a, a one-off kind of exercise. Um, as you, So you're not going to go and, and scale or leverage every single part of your business, you know, in that crazy example that you offered in the beginning where the guy- Oh, was. yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a, it's an iterative process. You scale as the business grows. You constantly ask yourself the question, what do I need to be doing more of? And as a result, I have less time to do something else. You need the answer to both those questions. Uh, and if you're scaling in the way that this person did, you know, a multiple of five, and you're going to be doing that really frequently. If if you're scaling, you're, you're going to be doing this exercise in proportion to the degree that you're growing your company. So there's a organized uh, strategic, systematic way of learning what you need to be doing less of, so you can do more of something else. Well, yeah. When I applied the when I applied the franchise model to the podcast reach system, I started there, which is uh, if if I'm if I'm the outsourcer or I'm to create something that somebody else can white label in exchange for a license fee, uh, let's start with the stuff that pretty much anybody could do. Yeah. And then let's look at the complex stuff and see how we can simplify that. Yeah, those were I mean, it's an oversimplification, but those were the two primary steps. Yeah. Well, so the the takeaway is that uh, for lots of owners, they get to a place where they just feel like they're, you know, um, they've lost control of their business. They don't know quite which way to turn. And if there's anything they get out of our time here today is that there is a systematic way of doing and solving the problems that you're experiencing. And if you uh, aren't able to work it out on your own that's okay there's people that are going to help you with it yeah and i th- and i think that um i think that is something that we want to keep in mind and i also would also add for my own references that your journey is your journey your journey is not somebody else's journey right and another conversation that um i've i've had uh, we were discussing you know, marketing and telling somebody they need something doesn't mean they're going to feel they need it. Telling somebody they want something doesn't tell the doesn't necessarily indicate that they're going to decide they want it. And yeah. there's also the old thing in marketing. It was taught to me by one of my uh, sales mentors, speaker Paul Ross, which is that people, uh, it doesn't matter as much what people say they want or think they want as it is what they respond to. Yeah. So what's gonna so what's gonna get this business owner to the point where they don't want to spend much time in the business and they're ready to take the steps? Uh, the fact they should be doing it, that's I've seen time and time again. That's not it. Uh, being able to wear the badge of a leveraged entrepreneur, eh, no. Oh, uh, but uh, but uh, finding uh, but uh, realizing they're approaching burnout. Um, catching a case of COVID and being down for just the, you know, the, the two days that a mild case of it uh, will put you down and realizing your business basically fell apart because you needed to take long naps for two days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
going three years uh, trying to reduce your debt and not even making a dent on all that credit card interest, yeah, that'll get you there. You know. So you look at so you look at what really moves people to to make things happen. Well, that uh, circles back to the real purpose of the business is to give you the life you want. And yeah. When you get back in touch with that and discover uh, what's missing from your life, you'll then have the necessary motivation to go and fix it. Yeah, I'll give you a, a real micro example of this. Uh, you're alluding to credit card debt. I, you know, what got me to the point where I needed to reduce my business's credit card debt on the business credit cards was when we decided we were going to seek new loans. Right, and I and I and uh, and what we kept running into was uh, percentage of utilization, and that mm-hmm. was usually the factor for why we couldn't get more loans. Right. So I told my business coach this, and uh, and he said, "Well, what you got to do is not worry about that, and uh, just pay the minimum on those credit cards." And I said, "You gave me that advice eight years ago. I've been following it, and here we are. That's not an acceptable answer anymore." No. Now this was a point. Now this is a point of disagreement, but this was actually this was actually good because it got me thinking of how do I solve the problem? Because I want I want more funding. I want yeah. I want more credit. I want uh, more space in my merchant account. I want more cards. I want uh, I want higher scores. I want greater DNB ratings. Uh, I want a Uline card. Uh, I, when I buy computers, I want that to go into business credit, not my personal credit. How do we solve all these things? Yeah. And it led me down the path of deciding that that was a problem to solve. And how did I end up solving it? Turned out it was the simplest answer of all: uh, create a new offer, get new clients, mm, and nice. uh, that and that allowed me to pay pay into the balances. And then uh, instead of railing into the traditional banking system, which was stacked against me is find a private lender and just go to somebody and simply say, hey, can I do a private loan, 5% interest? They sure. Say, yep, sure. I got $5,000 sitting here. Uh, we, can yeah. do a, we can do a 5% interest thing. Sure. Uh, just give me your ACH number. I'll give you the number, give you the money today. Just sure. you know, we'll exchange an email on the terms. Okay, cool. But it put me in that mode. So I think that just the title of this episode is not going to do it. I think that understanding that you're supposed to step out of your business isn't going to quite do it, but I believe there's going to be that catalytic event for our listeners that's going to cause them to say, okay, I got to get out of here. And this is where they're going to visit your website at w5coaching.com. That's W then the number five coaching.com forward slash freedom hyphen ebook. And they are going to download your free book, the five steps to freedom. Uh, which is about how to build a business that runs smoothly, profitably, and mostly without you. So I know that's the invitation you want to extend to our audience, and I've done that for you. So again, that's w5coaching.com forward slash freedom hyphen ebook, and get those five steps to freedom. So John, uh, just as we wrap up here, I wanted to uh, leave you with a, a parting thought. Anybody listening to this, as they as we wrap up, what is one action other than downloading your ebook that they could take today to move them at least one step closer to that goal? I get a default diary. I get a default diary? Yeah, so it's time blocking, which um, is, a, is it answers four questions. So number one is what uh, get clear about what are the most important results I need to get this week. Okay. Number two is what activity, what do I do to get that result? Number three is how much of that activity? And then four is how do I map my time, actually schedule my time this week so it matches those priorities? 
or let me put it a different way. Would you get on an airplane if the, if the pilot didn't have a pre-flight navigation plan? Of course not. Oh, are hell you, no. Are you spending your week without a plan, a navigation plan of how you're matching your time to your priorities? You'd like some help with that. Uh, I'm easy to find. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, what I'd also say is I didn't make this up. If you Google search for time blocking default diary, uh, there's lots and lots of advice on how on what that is and how to do it. Awesome. So time blocking default diary is right. the search term. All right. Yeah. So John Newenberg, thank you so much for being with us today. It has been an honor. It has been, believe me, an education. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to talk with you today, Adam. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.